But today, we're going to be starting a new series here at Kensington Temple in the coming mornings. And uh, it's going to be a series found in the book of Joel. So if you have your Bibles, you might like to turn to the Old Testament uh, to find the book of Joel. You know, when we are preaching from the pulpit, uh, there's many ways that you can minister. You can uh, find a single sermon that fits the hour or the hour of the time or the, or the week that's there, a single ser- sermon. Or you can do a series on different things like ethics. You could do a series on how we're to live, how we're to have family, how we're to deal with our marriages. Or you could have a series on spiritual things such as prayer or, or worship. Uh, but it's also good from time to time to spend some time in a series in a book of the Bible. You know, God didn't give us a doctrine book where you just look up the different subject that you want, creation, marriage, family, or, or, or salvation. And then, But God gave us in his Bible many, many different types of literary genres, poetry and worship, biography, history, and prophecy. And uh, these came in the forms of books, old and new, letters, uh, historical documents. And God gave them in these forms for a purpose. And so it's important for us to be familiar with the way that God gave us his scriptures, as well as doing themes about them. Uh, Those of you that have been regulars for a while will remember our senior leader when he did his series on Habakkuk. Do you remember that? And not only did we understand Habakkuk in a new way and get a feel for that particular prophet and that book, but also we believe that God used it to speak into our lives today. We should be familiar not only with what's in the Bible, but the forms that God has given it to us. And so that's why in this particular series, we're going to be spending time here in Joel. I'm going to read the first chapter of Joel uh, to you today. Joel chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, O elders, and listen, all inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or in your father's days? Tell your sons about it, and let your sons tell their sons and their sons the next generation what the gnawing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. And what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. Awake, drunkards, and weep, and wail, all your wine drinkers, on account of the sweet wine that is cut from your mouth. For a nation has invaded my land, mighty and without number. Its teeth are the teeth of a lion, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has made my vine a waste and my fig tree splinters. It has stripped them bare and cast them away. Their branches have become white. Wail like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn, the ministers of the Lord. The field is ruined, the land mourns, for the grain is ruined. The new wine dries up, fresh oil fails. Be ashamed, O farmers. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine dries up and the fig tree fails. The pomegranate, the palm also, and the apple tree. All the trees of the field dry up. 
Indeed, rejoicing dries up from the sons of men. Gird yourself with sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, for the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of the Lord. Consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. Has not food been cut off before our eyes? Gladness and joy from the house of our God. The seeds shrivel under their clods. The storehouses are desolate. The barns are torn down for the grain is dried up. How the beasts groan. The herds of cattle wander aimlessly because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of the sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I cry. The fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness and the flame has burnt up all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you, for the water brooks are dried up and a fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. This is the first chapter of three that we find in Joel. And what we're going to find as we go through this uh, book of Joel is that a natural disaster has taken place. These locusts have come in to Israel and they have devoured everything. And they didn't just come once, they came over a series of years. And God has sent the prophet Joel to speak to the nation about what God is saying through allowing this disaster to come. He's going to call them back to the Lord out of their careless routines. They are going to return to the Lord and seek the Lord in a new way and refresh their covenant with him. Then what we're going to see is that God, hearing their hearts turning to him, is also going to turn his heart towards them. And out of this devastation, the seeds of a mighty restoration in the land are going to take place. Not only is God going to restore their material fortunes, but God is also going to visit them with a great blessing of spiritual blessing. He will pour out his spirit not only on Israel, but upon all flesh. The key verse we find on the day of Pentecost in Acts, we'll be looking at that. So this is a prophecy of, of an acknowledgement of terrible things that were happening to a nation and that God was speaking through those terrible things, but also in turning to God was the hope of the nation and its future. Well, we begin with a great description of these locusts. Have you ever seen a locust? I remember dissecting a locust in biology once while it was asleep, which I thought was a bit cruel. Uh, we'd put it to sleep. But have you ever seen a locust? What I've got is a little clip for you today that just gives you the feel of what happens when the locusts visit town. Triggered by the rains, an all-devouring army locusts. Millions emerge from eggs buried in the sand, gathering into columns which may stretch for 10 kilometers. At this stage they can't fly, only hop, but it doesn't hinder their progress. 
these sweeping hordes devastate any fresh growth in their path. After five weeks of steady munching, the infantry becomes airborne. These breeding swarms can cover up to 80 kilometers a day, but only while the food and moisture last. So how do you define a desert in Africa? They're places where less than 50 centimeters of rain falls a year. I just wanted to give you a taste because it's one thing to talk about these this description of the locusts that we find in chapter one and then again in chapter two. And we can imagine those things, but you can just see with a, a little bit of a sight there what it must have been like. And then I wonder, Joel speaks about them being like an army. You just saw them pouring in and then they became an air force as they, as they grew stronger. And uh, the, the, the title of my first sermon in this series on the prophet Joel is When God Interrupts when God interrupts. You know, when Joel prophesied, it looked like the end of the world had come to Israel at that time. Plagues of locusts, one after the other, each year coming in and devastating with these terrible situations, the whole nation, its crops, its stores. But the thing was this, is that Joel is saying that in the midst of it looking like the end of the world with this catastrophe coming upon the land again and again, actually God was at work in the midst of it and that God was involved. We see in, the, in this first uh, few verses here, here, this, O elders, and listen all inhabitants of the land, has anything like this happened in your days or in your Father's days, this unusual and sudden interruption to the routine of the Israelites, this disaster that came out of the blue and didn't just come once but came again and again. It shook the routine of Israel. When you look at the book of Joel, you don't find any huge sins that God is allowing them to be judged for. You know, sometimes in the other prophets, you find that they'd gone after false gods and therefore God allowed their sins to be judged or that they were involved in some sort of uh, uh, sexual promiscuity or the rich were taking advantage of the poor. And so God allows judgment to come. You don't see this here in the book of Joel. Uh, we, we have a reference to people being drunk in a few verses, but that, that's not really talking about the sin. The only thing that we can see in Joel is that there is a carelessness of lifestyle, that the Israelites had got into a, a, a routine of living that really didn't really have any time for God. They didn't really need God. Everything was happening. They were going along in their ways. They were keeping the offerings going at the temple. But people had forgotten what it was like to seek the Lord and rely on the Lord. 
You know, in unusual interruptions to life, life's routine is usually a call from God. And God can disrupt and interrupt our routines as individuals or as communities or as a city or a nation. God can interrupt routines in order to speak a word into those routines. When God interrupts human life, he does it in two forms, and in each form, he is speaking. He can interrupt human beings' life with acts of great miraculous mercy and blessing. Right throughout the Bible, God comes and God saves, and God delivers, and Jesus heals, and provides bread and fish for the multitude. God comes in, does something amazing, incredible, uh, acts in mercy, a terrible event seems to be about to happen, but God steps in, God intervenes, God delivers. When God in interrupts human routine with a miracle of mercy and intervention, God is also speaking to us. When was the last time that God came through for you? I mean, you, you were crossing the road and you weren't concentrating and there was a bus coming down, but somehow someone pushed you out of the way. It was God's intervening, interrupting mercy that kept you. Or maybe God just blessed you. Something wonderful just took place in your life out of the blue. Or something happened to your family. A great, a great thing happened to your children. They did well in their exams or they got the job you know, they'd always hoped for. Blessing comes and is magnified by the Lord. But these blessings, God is also speaking to you. You know, every act of, of, of the miraculous that Jesus did in healing... In, 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 in ministering to people's needs, had a corresponding message along with that gracious act. That's why in John's gospel, the miracles of Jesus are called signs. When he raises from the dead, when he feeds the hungry with the miraculous provision, when he heals someone, there's a corresponding sermon to say, God did just, didn't just bless you to bless you, but God is speaking through his miraculous intervention, through the acts of mercy. But also, it is true to say, and here we have it in Joel, that God also, just as powerfully, speaks through calamities and disasters that can also take place in human history and human life. He can disrupt us with his blessing, but he can also allow difficult times and catastrophes uh, uh, to come into our lives or our culture's lives or our nation's lives, and that interruption carries with it a message from God. Here is a calamity in the days of Joel. It's these locusts, but God doesn't just allow the locusts to come, and he did allow them to come. But he sends along a Joel to explain what God is saying through these locusts. You know, the name Joel means Yahweh is God. And what Joel is presenting in his name is this, whether it's good times or bad times, whether God is intervening and interrupting with his blessing, or God is allowing uh, tremendous and, and terrible events to take place, he is still God. Yahweh is God in the difficult times and the good times, in the times of mercy and the times 
where judgment seems to be reigning, God is still speaking. You know, think about your life when God interrupted your routine through his intervention of mercy or his allowance of trouble. Maybe there's some here today and watching on the internet. You became a Christian because God allowed the locusts to come into your life, as it were. In other words, some adverse situation, circumstance. Maybe before you were a Christian, everything was just going well. The routine of life was fitting you like a tailored suit or dress, and everything was wonderful. You didn't need God. You weren't even thinking about God. Everything was fine. Everything was dandy. Then suddenly, something didn't work in your life like it was meant to. God allowed an interruption to take place in your romance. God allowed an interruption to take place in your career. God allowed an interruption to take place in your health or circumstances. And all of a sudden, your routine, which would have continued perhaps to this day, was disrupted. And in that disruption, you began to reflect on your life. You began to reflect on God. God was speaking through that disruption. Again, I say to you, if God has blessed you, if he's blessed you incredibly in the last year, or if you can think of points where God has done something so marvelous, you just can't believe it. I mean, I can think of a couple of things in my mind of when God has just so come in blessing in my life that I didn't know what to do. I was like a giddy child. I couldn't believe that God had answered my prayer. I couldn't believe that he'd been so wonderful, so kind, so gracious. His, his goodness blew my mind. But it wasn't just his goodness. He was speaking to me. Through that, was I listening to what he was saying? And there's also times that God has spoken to me through some disastrous things that I experienced in my life. He was speaking through them both. But it's interesting how God speaks in blessing and how God speaks in difficulties. C.S. Lewis, a famous Christian defender of the faith, said this, and listen carefully. God whispers to us in our pleasures speaks to us in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. He whispers in our pleasures, it's true. Thank God for pleasures. When God created mankind, Adam and Eve, he placed them in the Garden of Eden, and the word Eden means pleasures. And every good thing comes from God. Every little thing, every little blessing comes from God. Every great blessing comes from God. But as C.S. Lewis says, there's a message that comes with that blessing, but it's a whisper. Sometimes we're enjoying the good things of God so much that we're failing to open our ear to hear that he's whispering to us through the blessing. Sometimes to us the blessing is just enough, but God is speaking through the blessing. Can you hear him? You're going to have to be very silent because he's whispering. But then we hear that through pain, through suffering, through sudden impacts that come into our life that perhaps send us reeling, God is not whispering. He's not talking, but C.S. Lewis saying he's shouting in our pain through a megaphone. God is speaking. If any of you have experienced, or perhaps you are today, physical pain, You've got something wrong with your body and in the night you're woken up by pain. That pain speaks so loudly to you, 
It keeps you awake. Now, that pain, we know, is speaking about the fact that there's something wrong with your physical life. Pain tells you that something inside or something in the area where the pain is coming from needs to be addressed medically, true? So the pain may be discomfort, the pain may be awful, but at the same time, the pain is a megaphone to the root cause of something that's wrong that needs to be addressed. So it is with catastrophe. So it is when bad things happen, even to good people. There is a megaphone there. It it, it arrests us. It sends us reeling. We don't understand it. But one thing we can say is that God is speaking loudly about a root cause that needs to be addressed. Here, the prophet Joel is doing that. He He is saying, look, God has allowed this thing to happen. He could have intervened and stopped the locusts in their track. He could have intervened in mercy, but he hasn't. He's taken his hands off and he's allowed these locusts to become and reproduce to be everything that was potentially harmful in them. Has God abandoned us? No, God is speaking to us through these things. There's a root cause that needs to be addressed and these locusts are trying to get our attention from God. There is megaphone to a world that has become, or an Israel that has become careless in its ways before the Lord and has got into a routine that will not be changed unless God interrupts. If God didn't interrupt our routines with such things as blessing or such things as adversity, we probably would never grow. We'd just get into the habit of week by week, month by month, year by year. Sometimes I pray, Lord, whatever happens, don't allow our generation to get into a routine that you don't interrupt. Can't think of anything more spiritually concerning than a a routine life for God's people where no supernatural intervention is needed, where no prayer seems to be needed. We have everything we need, if not everything that we want. And the days roll by and the weeks roll by and the months roll by and the years roll by and the decades roll by. And when all's done and dusted, nothing's been done or dusted. May God intervene through whatever means he deems correct in order to shake us out of our routine that we could turn to him and explore new levels of God, God's graciousness and God's richness. He allowed a crisis, but he sent a preacher to explain what he was saying through that crisis. Tell it to your father. Uh, Has anything happened in these days or in your father's days? Tell it to your sons. It was unique. It was different. God works through history, and he says, tell it to the other generations. That's why we go back to the Bible. That's why it's important to understand the history, and especially the salvation history of God. Why? Because we see that divine interruptions take place in the history of God's dealing with mankind. And in every interruption, whether it be one of blessing or one of judgment, God is speaking. And calling forth a response that can bring salvation, blessing, and the glory of God. And so when we look back as we are at Joel's time, we're going to learn how God spoke through the distress of a locust plague, but also how people were to respond and how God then turned it round 
to take a routine people into an experience of God that is the talk of the town and that we're talking about even today. We need to learn from the interruptions of God's interruptions of past histories. In this first chapter of Joel, Joel is preaching to the people and is wanting them through this trial to come to their senses through this calamity. I'm going to quote from um, Dr. Michael Eaton, who recently went to be with the Lord a couple of weeks ago in 2.30 service next Sunday at Westminster Chapel. RT will be leading a service of uh, memory and thanksgiving for his life. Now, in studying for Joel, I was using Michael Eaton's commentary and thinking to myself, you know, he may have died two weeks ago, but being dead, he still speaks powerfully. And he, he said this, Joel sees this plague of locusts as coming from God. God controls what happen, happens. He had allowed this terrible thing to wake them up from their careless ways. There was no terrible, terrible outward manifestation of sin, but there was a carelessness of routine that God wanted to address. Now, it's interesting if we turn to um, Matthew, sorry, Luke chapter 13. Jesus addresses how people should respond to catastrophes. As you turn into chapter 13, just earlier in, in Luke 12, verse 54, he speaks about understanding what's happening in history. He says, and he was saying to the crowds, Jesus speaking, when you see a cloud rising in the west, Immediately you say, a shower is coming, and so it turns out. But when you see a south wind blowing, you say, it'll be a hot day, and it turns out that way. You hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but you do not analyze the present time. In other words, you can see the weather forecasts on the BBC, and you can feel that it's going to be rain or you can feel that it's going to be another hot day. But Jesus is saying, why can't you see what God is saying through circumstances in human history today, your own circumstances as well as a city or, or nations? And then here in verse 13, listen to this, chapter 13, verse 1, sorry. Now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that the 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. This is profound. You see, we're talking about Jesus, and Jesus was always ministering to people's needs. There in the three years that he was there, if they were sick, he would heal them. If they were hungry, he would feed them. If they were social outcasts like prostitutes or lepers, he would bring them in. If they had weariness and sinfulness of the soul, he would Forgive them. 
Miracle upon miracle of provision, kind words, open arms. Jesus was on the front line of spiritual care and social care to those who are in most need. He loved people. He died for all people. That's his heart. And yet here people come and they start asking about people that met a terrible end in certain disasters. And they were saying, well, what about this person? Some people had a miraculous deliverance from this circumstance. Other people didn't. Uh, was it that the other people that didn't get delivered or didn't have a miracle? Was it that somehow Jesus, that these people were under the judgment of God? And Jesus said, stop talking about other people and see yourself in the light of what's happened. Like Joel, Joel is saying, look, this disaster of the locusts has happened. God is speaking to you, and as we'll see, asking you to do something in response. Jesus said, look, it wasn't that they were more sinful or less sinful, but you need to learn from these events that one day you're going to have to stand before the Lord. Make sure you're ready for your time of death. I know it's a Sunday morning in summer and you've come to get blessed today, but I hope this will be a blessing, even though it might not seem so, when I tell you this, we're all going to die. Now, I hope you live long on the earth. I truly do and prosper and be in health. But you're going to die. I'm going to die. I remember once thinking aloud to the Lord, thinking, well, maybe I could be the first person that didn't die. And I looked in the history and I thought, everybody dies. Everybody dies. Jesus died and rose again, thank God. So I know death isn't the end, but you're going to die. You're going to die sooner or later. And even the longest years that you could possibly hope for will be gone in an instant. You could die tomorrow, you could die next week, you could die in 10 years. You don't know, God doesn't know. These people that Jesus mentioned, they didn't know, but were they ready for the moment when the moment came? Life has to live, life should be lived from the end backwards. I'm going to say that again. Your life needs to be lived from the end backwards. There's a tract by R.T. Kendall. And we have it available on our table outside, big yes, little yes, healthy maybe. And you're all welcome to take one of them. And it's about what happens to you when you die. Where will you go when you die? Christianity's first message is this, what will happen to you when you die? Will you, when you stand before God, why will he let you into heaven? There's only one way that you will go to the Father, and that's through the Son. Jesus died for everyone without discrimination, he died for Christians, he died for Muslims, he died for Hindus, he died for Sikhs, he died for atheists, he died for everybody, regardless of their religious background. Jesus died for their sins that were separating from, from God. Jesus took the punishment upon himself on the cross so that we wouldn't have to take the punishment if we believed in him. And he died for us and he rose again to say that death isn't the end for those those that trust him, and now he's in heaven preparing a place for all those that trust in him. Once you know that you are saved and you've put your trust in Jesus, you're now ready when that moment comes. Now that you're ready, you can now look back on your life and say, all right, how am I to live this short time before I go to heaven? Jesus said, stop talking about those that were immediately affected and think about yourself and whether you yourself will be judged 
when your day similarly sooner or later comes. Now, when God allows judgments to come, they can sometimes be in a series of events. Here in um, Joel, we see that it's like a series of locusts. The gnawing locust comes and you think, oh, they did a terrible job, but thank God they've gone. And just when the gnawing locust gone, the swarming locust comes. You think, oh, that's two swarms. Well, at least the swarming locusts have gone. This must be over. But then the creeping locust comes. You say, how much more of this can we take? And then the stripping locust comes. You know, I don't want you to be superstitious here today, and I don't mean superstition by this, but sometimes people say bad things come in three, three things, in three things. And they're superstitious. They go, oh, that's the first thing that went wrong today. What's the next? Oh, there it was. One more and I'm free. It's a sort of mentality, but sometimes there's a truism in the fact that you can be going through your normal routine week by week or month by month and nothing much is happening and you're happy and then bang, something hits you and you're reeling from it. And just as you get on your feet and you say, what was that? Bang, something else hits you from a different direction. Then you get, bang, you're hit again. You ever been in a situation like that? Why is it all happening at once, Lord? Well, for whatever reason, for, for whatever is coming your way, God is speaking. You know, sometimes when God interrupts our routine, once is not enough. You know, you're crossing the road and you have a near miss with a car. Oh my God. Your life flashes before you and you think maybe I need to take a, a good look at my life. But three, four days ago, three, four days after that, you've forgotten about it. God was speaking to you in that near miss. You listened for a moment, but what happened? Default mode. You went back to your routine. Even in terrible cataclysmic events or terrorist events or situations like we've seen in the last two weeks, these events come and they impact us all. But apart from those perhaps directly impacted by them, as the weeks and months roll by, people often return to their routine. During the time, there's an awakening. There's an outpouring. All those people that gave so much, that volunteered left, right, and center to help the situation as it was in emergency mode. A mo marvelous mobilization of humanity across all beliefs uh, took place. A wonderful thing, a mobilization. But in a month, two months, three months, Apart from those directly affected, how many of the initial responders whose routine was totally interrupted by this event, how many of them will return to the routine that they were in, in, the, in beforehand? God does not want us to return to routines when he speaks, either through his great blessing or through allowing tribulation to come. We have a picture here in verse 5 of awake drunkards and weep and wail all you wine drinkers on account of the sweet wine which is cut off from your mouth. The problem here is that the drunkards had no more wine to drink. They were drinking to forget all the problems that were going on in their lives and the world. They couldn't cope with the reality, so they turned to booze and they partied. And, and it was eat, drink for tomorrow. Well, let's not even think about it. Let's eat, drink a bit more. And they'd got themselves into this mode where they were asleep to what was going on. 
Uh, it's like today, we too can run into the arms of alcohol, run into the arms of pleasure, run into the arms of television and just switch ourselves off from the pain that is in our personal lives or in our national lives. Just switch off, go to something which will put us to sleep. Go to something which will allow us to forget the reality of life. Someone once said this, don't deal with the way things, don't deal with things the way you would like them to be, but deal with things the way they truly are. Don't deal with things the way you would wish them to be, but deal with things the way that they really are. Sometimes we don't want to face up to the realities of personal life or the realities of the life that we live in. We want to hide. We want to go somewhere else. We, we, we don't want to face it. I remember when I was a student at university, there was a time when I knew that I must have spent my money in my account and I must be in some sort of overdraft situation. I didn't want to face it. So I remember what I'd do is I'd go to the, the bank uh, cash thing and uh, I would put my card in, number, 30 pounds, and then I'd put my hand over the screen. <laughs> didn't want to see that account. I'd take my 30 pounds out and I'd go and enjoy myself with my friends. And then I'd be back and I'd put my thing in, hand over the screen. You know what I was doing. Maybe you've been there yourself. I didn't want to see what the reality of my account was. But you know, one day I had to face up to it and it spent weeks working in a tea in, in Taylor's Tea Factory to pay it off. I had to deal with it sooner or later. This is what Joel is saying. He's, look, he's saying, look, God is sending you such a dose of reality in this form of locust that he's wanting to wake you up. You know, this is interesting because 1 Thessalonians 5, it's the same sort of teaching. And uh, Paul is wanting to wake the Thessalonians up to reality. And he says this to them. And it echoes what uh, Joel is saying. He says, now the times and the seasons, you see even here, he's saying, look, you should know what's going on and what God is speaking to your life, your church life, your community life, your city life, your national life. What is he speaking with the sermon that attaches itself to the great acts of mercy or the sermon that attaches itself to some terrible events that he has allowed to happen? Now, to the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord we're going to be preaching on the day of the Lord in the next of these series, which is Joel chapter 2. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they're saying peace and safety, they're in their routine. Then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with a child and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you're all sons of light and sons of day. We're not of night nor darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night and those who get drunk get drunk at night. God is sobering us up. Through blessings, if we listen to his whispering, but also through events, personal level right through national God is sobering us up. Why? Because he's calling us to him for a new level of supernatural encounter and relationship. 
Remember, only at the beginning of Joel here today, as we go through the weeks, we're going to see how people turn to God and he visits them and he gets rid of the locusts and he restores them to a place of blessing they'd never known and even pours out his spirit. That's where we're going to end. But we're on a journey with Joel and we can't skip the sobering bit and just go to the blessing. That's the problem with a lot of popular preaching today. It goes to the outpouring, the blessing and the restoration without dealing with the reality of the situation where we need to be sobered up. The rest of this chapter, I won't go into detail, but it speaks about the fact that the grain offering and the drink offering is dried up. Joel speaks to those in every area of life, the farmers and the vine dressers, out there in the marketplace. He says, I'm speaking to you too, that what God is saying is not just to have an effect on you religiously, but it's to change the way you do your business dealings, change the way you deal with family members, change the way you deal with the house of the Lord and the things of the Lord, change your way. A missing ingredient of respect to the Lord to come back to the people. The drink offering talks about pouring your life out for the Lord. The grain offering speaks about household life and work life and career life. And all this had dried up and God wanted a restoration to come to him. And then finally, in this chapter, we see that there is a crying out. There's a call to cry out to the Lord. Joel cries out to the Lord. Even the beasts feeling their need of water and crops. It says even the beasts are groaning. They're crying out to the Lord. At the end of this chapter, we have a crying out to the Lord. Maybe God is doing something in your life and our lives and perhaps even the the, the life of our city or nation I'm not so bold enough to make these predictions myself. I'm just asking the question, maybe God is bringing us to a place of corporate crying out to the Lord. Do you know a wonderful place for us to be is a place of Holy Spirit crying out to the Lord. I need you. We need you. We understand that we need you to intervene in mercy because There has been allowed some destruction in the land or in our life. Something has driven us to our knees. It was God. But something within us is calling on our God to deliver us. It's God. God is at work. To go back to our routine is to not feel the need to cry out for the Lord for ourselves or for others that are in need. To go back to our routine of daily living weekly living, monthly living, and not to explore a calling out to the Lord for a visitation and a manifestation of supernatural interruptions for good that we've never experienced in this current generation. This is that which Joel prophesied In the latter days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. God wants to visit you. Not just in the way that you've experienced him in the past. 
This is a new experience to the children of Israel. It happened to be a catastrophe rather than a blessing, but it was a new experience to bring them into a new experience of God. God has new and deeper experiences of him, his person, his kindness, his ability to answer prayer, his ability to use you, his ability to turn despair into joy, mourning, into into gladness. He wants to bring us as a generation into something of a Pentecost experience. But that's why he's speaking in the pain of our lives. That's why he's allowing these things to happen so that we would feel inside us something arising, something of a need of God to intervene, to come through. It's not enough to live in your routine. You are not born and born again to live in a routine. I'm not saying that there aren't times that are slow and times that are quick, but God has a purpose for your life. It's not just to count the hours of the days or the weeks or the months. There may not be any great sin in your life. You may just be living a good and basically godly life, but God wants to give you a taste of heavenly power, heavenly experience, Dramatic answers in prayer. God wants you to be a priest in this nation, a priest in your neighborhood, a priest in your family. God wants you to have an experience of what he's able to do. He wants you to finish your days on earth, whether they be short or long, and say, I have seen the severity and the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I know what it is. For him to chastise, I know what it is for him to allow tastes of the the day of the Lord to come. Next week, I'm going to be speaking on the day of the Lord, the next chapter. And the day of the Lord is the greatest day of history in God's calendar. It'll be the day of ultimate deliverance and salvation for those that love him. But it'll also be the day of ultimate judgment and punishment for those that have rejected him. In every disaster or difficult situation we find, we find a touch of the day of the Lord. But also in every blessing that comes our way, we find a touch of the blessing of the Lord. The difference is, is that in the days where we see these samples of the judgment of the Lord in disaster or catastrophe or great mercy and blessing, there's still time, as Joel will teach us, to turn and for God to intervene. But when that day comes, Jesus said, there will be full salvation, full deliverance for all those that trust in Jesus. But then there will be full judgment and full terror for all those that have rejected his message. It'd be too late to repent now. Then, now is the day of salvation.